0: You're listening to episode 24 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband, Hunter, and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our Rainbow Baby which is a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, TFMR, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. In this episode, I talk about what it's like to enter my third trimester of pregnancy, including my expectations, dealing with aches and pains, seeing a chiropractor, planning a drive-by baby shower and building a baby registry, the importance of kick counting, and deciding on a name for our baby. You can support this podcast by taking two minutes to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and also by purchasing one of my day-by-day rainbow lapel pins. For me, rainbows have become a symbol of hope through my journey of pregnancy loss and grief. The pin I've created not only symbolizes my hope for a rainbow baby, but also my hope in something greater, that I am taken care of, even when it seems like everything is going wrong. The pin serves as a wearable reminder for you or a loved one to take things day by day through pregnancy loss, trying to conceive, pregnancy after loss, or any other difficult situation, like a global pandemic. You can get 10% off by purchasing one for you and a friend with discount code FRIEND10 on my website, taylorashleybates.com. Okay, here's the episode. Hello, I'm glad to be with you and I'm joining you as I'm just entering my third trimester. Um, It's been really just a whirlwind I, I keep saying I can't believe that I'm here. Um, you know, that, that I've made it this far in the pregnancy. It just feels like it's flown by. And I think part of that is this extremely unusual circumstance of the global pandemic and, you know, basically going through this whole pregnancy, um, pretty much in isolation with Hunter. We haven't really seen, you know, friends or family. And interestingly, just being at home day after day and kind of having, you know, the same repetitive um, experience actually makes the time go by faster in a weird way than comparatively having my normal full schedule. So uh, it's just a weird time. And I'm realizing that I'm having this urge of, of wanting to document, you know, these last, um, moments because it really feels like it's starting this countdown. Now we're planning a scheduled C-section at 37 weeks. So that means I have nine weeks to go, which just seems like nothing, like it's going to fly by. Um, I'm definitely... I can feel myself um, getting more anxious as I've approached the third trimester and especially as I approach 32 weeks, which is when Ellis was stillborn, our first baby. And I'm trying just to be present and remember what so many other lost moms have told me, that this is a different pregnancy with a different outcome. And just because something happened once before doesn't mean the exact same thing is going to happen again. But, you know, that trauma in my mind is very powerful, those memories. And so in a way, it does feel almost like a superstition, like that week 32, the exact same thing is going to happen again. And even things like planning a baby shower or... Building a baby registry. To me, those things felt a little bit jinxed because with Ellis, I had spent the last couple of weeks before he was stillborn working on our registry, going stroller shopping the day before. And then the day that he was born was the day that our baby shower invitations went out to all of our friends and family. So I definitely have some negative associations with those things, and I wasn't sure how I was going to approach them with this pregnancy, and I was just kind of leaving it open, you know, not putting any pressure on myself either way of of having a baby shower. And as it turns out, it's something that I've just been called to do. And part of that is that I have a really good friend who's also pregnant right now, and we actually due the same week, which is just so cool. And she had a baby just right before Ellis was born. So we've grown really close through this whole time. And we saw each other a few weeks ago, and she was talking about her baby shower. And we were kind of coming up with ideas for alternative baby showers during the pandemic. And she was helping me with what to put on my registry. And she mentioned that she already had, you know, ordered her invitations and was going to be sending them out soon. And I was like, oh crap, you know, we're, we're due the same week, so I should probably get on that too. And I do just want to say that because of the pandemic, we did decide on a drive-by baby shower. So um, we're going to have have it at my parents' house. They have a circle driveway and our plan is to have our friends and family just drive by in their car and kind of wave because like I said, we haven't really seen anyone during this pregnancy. So it'll kind of be the, the one chance for a lot of these people to even see me pregnant. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. So that next week I designed some really sweet, simple baby shower invitations that of course feature a rainbow that I, drew and and just decided to go forward with it because I don't want this baby's life to be marked in a negative way or denied certain things because you know of superstition or fear and it doesn't mean that the fears and anxieties aren't there but for me right now it just feels best to choose Hope over fear. And so I've spent the last couple weeks working on our registry, which when I first opened the baby list app, I immediately saw our old registry with Ellis that was incomplete. or you know it, some people had purchased gifts. so I had to go through and clear out the old registry and just start from scratch. So that was, you know, a little bit triggering, I guess, just to kind of revisit, you know, those products and things that I was dreaming of building Ellis's nursery with, and the things that I imagined using with him. But then it was also, it felt good to to start clean and start dreaming those those same dreams again for this baby. And it also, in a way, made me feel connected with Ellis. Like he's here with us, walking this journey with us. So another aspect of this point in the pregnancy has been that I've had a lot of aches and pains that I didn't necessarily have my first pregnancy with Ellis. And I wrote an Instagram post recently about how it's okay for lost moms to basically vent or complain about difficult aspects of pregnancy, even though we're obviously so grateful to be pregnant again. And I've struggled with that of just wanting only to express gratitude. And even I had another lost mom friend who said, it's kind of like the superstition thing. like You don't want to jinx your pregnancy by not being grateful for it 100% of the time. But the reality is this pregnancy has been a lot harder than my first one. And this pregnancy, of course, if you've been listening for a while, you know, we did IVF. We had a miscarriage leading up to it. Um, It was just, it took us, well, it took us a year and a half to get pregnant after having Ellis. So it's been a very long journey just to get pregnant And then, you know, my body has been through a C-section and recovering from that. So I've just noticed now as I've gotten further along in the pregnancy that I have pain in my hips and pelvis, in my SI joints, on the back of my pelvis um, while I'm walking or going upstairs, which we have in our house, and the... Pelvic pain is causing low back pain. And then I also have this super weird chronic pain in my lips, which I know sounds so weird. Um, But it's, it's this thing, I googled it, called burning lip syndrome. And it's a side effect of a medication I took through the IVF process. I took this medication called letrozole for just five days. And it's a medication that suppresses Estrogen. It's commonly given to women who are receiving treatment for breast cancer. And I found through um, some forums, actually some breast cancer forums, of women who talked about this same side effect from that medication of having burning lips. And, you know, that started for me during our embryo transfer. So before I was pregnant, I only took the medication for five days and my lips started burning through that process and got really dry and irritated. So I started trying all these medicated chapsticks and eventually was able to get it to calm down. But now throughout the whole pregnancy, it's just been this chronic issue of some days I'll wake up and my lips just burn all day. It's like I've eaten a hot pepper or something that's gotten onto my lips. And especially, you know, if I eat, well, I cannot eat spicy foods now or anything acidic or even like mint flavored chapstick irritates it. So that's been just super weird. And I wrote about all of this and I got a call, a phone call from my mom the next day. And she was like, Taylor, I had no idea that you were struggling with these things and I don't wanna have to learn about them through Instagram. So that was just a really good reminder for me that it's okay. To voice my frustrations, my struggles, and um, I, I want to be an example of that for other people too. So, I don't want to just um, present this facade that you know I have this perfect pregnancy experience after loss, and that's not what people expect or necessarily even want from me. I think people want to hear. The, the truth of how I'm doing. So that was a good learning experience. And since then, I've really kind of emphasized putting, you know, my self-care first again, knowing that, like I said earlier, it's, it's the nine week countdown now. And soon enough, if all goes well, baby will be here. And, and I won't have that much time for myself, at least, um, you know, in the short term. So, I asked my doula for a recommendation of a chiropractor and had my first visit last week and um, this chiropractor specializes in prenatal care and postnatal care and I'd never actually been to a chiropractor before so it was a really interesting experience and she was great. She was super sensitive to my story and um, also has worked as a doula so I just feel like I was in really good hands and I'm going to see her pretty much weekly. So from here on out I'll be seeing my OB, my perinatal specialist and my chiropractor pretty much every week. So it just it feels good to have a lot of I guess attention on this baby and this pregnancy and and on me just feel like I have people who are caring for me. And so actually at my last visit with my perinatal specialist I had kind of my first triggering experience of this part of the pregnancy. I think the in the beginning of the pregnancy, like in the early first trimester, some of those early appointments were really difficult and I had a lot of anxiety because of our previous miscarriage and you know, that just that fear of of is this pregnancy going to quote stick. And now Of course, getting closer to the date of my stillbirth, you know, the equivalent date in this pregnancy, which is 32 weeks, I can feel that anxiety kind of creeping back in sometimes again. And so at this most recent visit, I went in. Everything ended up being great. The baby looks just perfect, and all my vitals were good. But I had this experience with the nurse who was taking my vitals at the beginning of the appointment, and she asked me, you know, like they do every appointment, so have you been feeling the baby move? And I said yes, and then she proceeded to spend just about a minute talking with me about kick counting and the importance of kick counting, especially in the third trimester, which um, I was just entering at that appointment. And then she handed me a little slip of paper that had directions on how to kick count. And all of this was great. I was grateful for it. It was easy. She did a, a really good job of explaining it. And after the appointment, my, my doctor is located really close to my parents' house. So I stopped by their house just to say hi. And I was telling my mom about the appointment and showing her ultrasound pictures and told her about this encounter that I had about the kick counting and how it made me realize it's just so easy for nurses and doctors, OBs, midwives to teach patients how to kick count and to tell them about the importance. It literally took her one minute And she had a pre-cut little slip of paper that I was able to put in my purse. I could keep it in my wallet if I needed to. And it made me really sad and angry that I didn't have that in my pregnancy with Ellis. And that the care provider I was seeing didn't offer that to me. And I'll never know why, and I'll never know if it would have made a difference, Because I definitely was exposed to the idea of kick-counting through some of the pregnancy apps that I was using at the time, but I think because it was my first pregnancy, because everything was quote normal in my pregnancy, and because my care provider didn't emphasize it, I didn't think that I needed to kick-count, because I didn't think that there was a reason I needed to, because nothing was apparently wrong. So yeah, I just, that experience kind of unearthed this grief and I started crying with my mom and just got really upset. It was like angry tears, you know, just why isn't kick counting more emphasized for everyone, not just high risk patients. And I know I've talked about this before on this podcast, but I know that in the UK and in other parts of the world, they've had these campaigns for kit counting. And it's basically just a small marketing campaign to create awareness of the importance of kit counting, not only for patients, but also for providers, just to, to educate their patients. And I think in the UK, they've been able to dramatically reduce their rate of stillbirth just through education about kit counting. So I actually want to read what this slip of paper says um, that the nurse gave me, um, just so that if anyone out there is listening, you know, this might be helpful to you to have an understanding of kick counting. So this, this paper says, because you have a high-risk pregnancy, which I'll interject here, I think that this should be revised to just say, because you are pregnant, we recommend that you monitor your baby's movements at home. You should count the baby's movements twice a day. Each time you attempt to kick counts, you should feel the baby move at least 10 times per hour. If you don't get your 10 movements, you should count for another hour. If you still don't get movements, or at any time you think that the baby is not moving as usual, please let your physician's office know immediately. I like that word, immediately, because I know... With Ellis, once I really started tuning in that he hadn't been moving for a while, and I hadn't really been aware of it, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't even really know who to call. Obviously, I was being had been seen by this group of midwives, um, but I didn't have like a a go to phone number for them of if something was wrong, and I certainly didn't know that. know i needed to call immediately so i waited a while like probably an hour or two um and again who knows if that would have made a difference if i would have gone in earlier called them earlier but you know regardless of my experience i just want to emphasize for anyone out there who's listening that kick counting can save lives and Like this paper said, if you notice any kind of change in in movement or lack of movement, just call your doctor right away. There's no harm in doing that. And you're not going to, you know, be judged. No one's going to think you're silly for calling in. That's certainly how I felt was like I was being, you know, an overreactive first time pregnant mom. And I've talked to a lot of other moms who had a similar feeling. And so that you know, insecurity of, of how we might appear shouldn't hold us back from advocating for our babies and for ourselves. So that's all I'll say about kick counting for now. So the last thing I'll share is that um, Hunter and I have, I think, settled on a name for the baby. And we've decided we're not actually gonna share that name until the baby's born because especially just for our families, my mom actually requested that we keep the name a surprise since we shared the gender from the very beginning, you know, through the IVF process, we were able to learn the gender from day one. Um, and we shared that with everyone. So it's kind of exciting to have this one thing. That's this one element of surprise, but naming the baby naming this baby has been something that's been really important to me because with Ellis, we had a list of names going through the pregnancy, but didn't actually name him until he was born. And I think there's something special about naming the baby because it, for, for us, it's helped us to really connect with him and instead of just calling him baby we can call him by his name and um there's something kind of sacred about about naming so that's been an exciting recent big step for us is I you know have been throwing around names since like (laughs) the first few weeks of this pregnancy and it's actually been something that Hunter and I've had um I've been pitching a lot of names and he's been gracefully turning them down. And so I've just, you know, kept searching and I really wanted to find a name that had a significant meaning because Ellis's name has so much meaning to it. And even after we named him, we learned these deeper meanings that we didn't even fully understand when we chose his name. Um, His name means light of God which just seems so apt for, you know, his spirit and the way that he has become a part of our lives and, you know, through rainbows and, um, just that experience of, of light in the darkest period of grief. So for this baby, yeah, I wanted to have a name of kind of equal significance. And I think we've found that, which is so wonderful. So we've already started referring to the baby by his name and even have a couple of nicknames for him. And so every night Hunter kisses my belly and talks to him and uses his name and that's just such a special time. And it's it's different than what we did with Ellis. So I've really enjoyed that. I hope this episode was meaningful for you. To connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on instagram please share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss whether they are trying to conceive currently pregnant or parenting after loss until next time i'm taylor bates sending you peace and hope for your journey